0: Well, today we close out our series, um, mining the book of. By the way, if you don't have joy yet, after the, you know, this is your last chance. <laughs> <laughs> but we do. We're going to close out our series, mining the book of Philippians for the treasure of of real joy. Uh, we've talked about three secrets to discovering joy so far. First, uh, fellowship. Remember, fellowship, and the second was focus and some important ways we need to focus. And then third was sacrifice, all this coming straight out of the book of Philippians. And those principles um, are something I hope that some of you have started to apply in some ways. I know I have, um, and, and they're really pathways. They really are pathways um, to discovering the treasure of joy. Today, we'll talk about the final secret, which happens to round out the others nicely. The, the last secret to discovering real joy is obedience. Obedience. Somebody says, oh, <laughs> you were hoping for something a little bit more interesting than that, right? Maybe, maybe the final secret could have involved, I don't know, something, um, maybe a pilgrimage to Jerusalem or something. I don't know, something, something interesting, something... Something you hadn't tried yet, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe three days on top of a mountain would be, uh, this final secret would be, oh, wow, uh, or, 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 or just, you know, I don't know, drinking matcha. I'm, I'm enjoying that myself, it's a new thing for me. Well, at the least, it, it, it could have been something really task-oriented, something doable, you know, so you could like check it off uh, the box and be done with it. Um, I mean, obedience, just obedience? A secret to real joy? That's just boring, not to mention impossible. That might be what some of you would say. Well, do you want the truth or fluff? (laughs) You can't handle the truth. Well, no. I'm sure you can. So first, let me show you how the idea that obedience is a secret to joy comes straight out of the the joy book of the Bible, Philippians, from chapter 2. Starting in verse eight, again from the example of Christ, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, he's linking Christ's obedience to their obedience, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation." in which you shine like stars in the universe. And then from chapter 3, verse 17, Dear brothers and sisters, pat in your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Their future is eternal destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and all they think about is this life here on earth. Now, I realize that the word joy is not used in these verses. It was almost hard to find verses in Philippians that don't use the word joy. Uh, we've, we've, had, we've been through the whole book through this study, and, and it's, joy is everywhere. And so the whole theme of the whole book is joy. And so to some degree, any, any kind of directive that we receive is, is, is an answer to the question of how do you get joy? That's the thesis or the question of the book. And it's implied, if you, if you look at those verses closely, it's implied here and throughout the book that obedience brings joy while disobedience brings destruction. In truth, obedience basically sums up all the other, the other three secrets that we've discussed. All the scripture we've studied ultimately points to uh, obedience as the real secret, the real necessity for finding joy. If we are obedient in the areas of fellowship, first secret uh, focus the second secret is sacrifice uh, if, we're, if we're not obedient in those areas then we won't have joy so that's what we've learned already but what I'm saying is to some degree sorry for the what sounds like bad news but the, the really obedience really is the answer at one point the slogan for Sprite was obey your thirst Burger King told us, have it your way. Las Vegas says, what happens here stays here. How many of you really believe those are are good words to live by? Don't raise your hands. It seems like anybody with any ounce of sanity knows that if it feels good, do it, does not actually lead to lasting happiness or real joy. Everyone knows this. And yet so many follow the feel-good philosophy anyway, even though they're vaguely aware that it is a lie ending in destruction. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul points out the example of Christ's obedience as a much more joyful way to live, um, a way that leads to glory, actually, and exaltation, joy, uh, eternal joy. He, he, He brings out that path, Christ's path, that's as an example of something that leads to a better ending, a happier ending, no matter what you go through on this earth. The book of Hebrews tells us, as we've covered several times in this series, it says flat out, it was because of the joy set before him that Christ was able to endure the cross. As it was for Jesus, so it is for us. There is joy in fulfilling God's purposes for us on earth, and there's joy in looking forward to our future um, glory in heaven and in, in the, the glorification of, you know, we talk about justification and sanctification and glorification. Glorification is what comes when we are made to be like Jesus in heaven and looking forward to that. There's not joy in ignoring God uh, while we seek to satisfy our insatiable appetites. Knowing that only eternal destruction awaits at the end of the road. There's no joy in that path. Also, look back at chapter 2, verse 15, where we see that when believers truly obey God, they can shine like stars in the universe. Did you notice that awesome verse we were reading a minute ago? What a joyful thought, that when, when we obey God, we shine like stars. So what are we when we don't <laughs> obey? Black holes? I don't know. I don't know but shining like stars is clearly linked to obedience here if you look at the text and I'd say there would be some joy in shining like stars, wouldn't you? Isn't this where joy is found in the Christian journey in shining our light, uh, I think if we could shine our light in such a way that it would be compared to the stars? Uh, though the world be a dark place would that not be a joyful way to live, we find joy when we fulfill the purposes for which we have been made, bringing glory and honor to our Creator as we obey the instructions He gave us for our own good. How awesome it is that we have been given the ability to shine for God. But if you look back at the text, you'll see that shining is completely dependent upon obedience. You don't just just shine without the obedience it's through the obedience that you shine. And in the passage from chapter 3 that I read, we see how sad it really is when those who claim to follow Christ prove otherwise by their conduct. Paul says it brings tears to his eyes. I can identify with that as a pastor. Paul was a pastor. Says it brings tears to his eyes that so many are not only failing to shine like they could, but in reality by their disobedience they prove to be in his words enemies enemies he says of the cross of Christ and he goes on to explain that their future is eternal destruction Uh, not much joy there look again at what our text says in verse 12 of chapter 2 work out your salvation with fear and trembling don't take your salvation for granted live it out with obedience it is because God is at work within us acting according to his good purpose, as it says, that we can live it out. Which means we will be blameless, as it says, and pure children of God, even in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. What a joyful privilege. What joy there is in living out our new, redeemed, awakened lives in Christ. And what a shame when we fail to apply the power that is within us the power to obey. Some people seem to think obedience to God is it's pretty much impossible. They say, we're, we're all sinners. We're all just sinners, so we, we, we can't obey. We keep trying, but we just can't. <coughs> <laughs> Wrong answer. Sorry, in case you were sleeping. You're awake now for another 20 seconds. Presumed failure... Presumed failure is not an appropriate mindset for a redeemed child of God. A defeated attitude is exactly what the enemy wants us to have. Let's read what God says in his word one more time from chapter 2, starting at the end of verse 12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. To will and to act according to his good purpose do everything without complaining and arguing we could spend a series of sermons on that right there couldn't we (laughs) so that you may become blameless and pure children of god without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe do not say you can't obey God's word says you can become a blameless and pure child of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. God is already working in you to make this true. But what is your part in seeing this happen? Obedience. One step at a time, obedience. You need to respond affirmatively to what God is doing and wants to do inside you, and you need to work it all the way out. This was kind of a a weird sermon for me to write because as I tried to get started, all I could think of is how simple it seems to be. I mean, basically the point is that you'll be a whole lot happier if you just do what God says. Well, duh, for a while I I couldn't think what else to add. I just just wanted to say myself and everybody else, uh, it's simple, obey God and you'll have joy. End of sermon, end of sermon series, let's go have lunch. But before you get up, I did wind up thinking a little bit deeper, and I realized that there are actually steps that lead up to obedience, and if you skip any of these steps, you aren't likely to make it to the part where you actually obey. First, in order to obey, you need to know what God has said and and what he meant for you to understand today. Today. So so you need to study and apply what God has said and think about it deeply. Second, you need to believe God actually said it and agree with him about it. Third, you need to commit to obey what he has said. And if you get past all of that, then you need to actually follow through and obey God, having run out of excuses. Because the fact of the matter is that often we find a way out somewhere in the middle of that process don't we we rationalize and justify uh, we compare ourselves with others or we figure out loopholes or we purposefully forget and try to maintain our ignorance and when all else fails we willfully disobey thinking to ourselves well I guess that's why Jesus had to die on the cross nobody's perfect In other words, we take advantage of the grace and forgiveness of God and we trample on the cross of Christ. Hmm, Where did our text say that path leads? Not to joy, but rather to eternal destruction. And yes, ultimately, if you really have received Christ as your savior by grace through faith, then your sins are forgiven past, present and future. Every single one wiped clean as white as snow. That's the only reason you have the promise of heaven with God, but there's another point that God wants you to get right now. The point is that obedience will bring the joy of the Lord into your life. You can't earn your salvation with obedience. You can't even keep your salvation with obedience. Salvation is granted to you upon your personal faith response to the grace of God demonstrated in Jesus Christ on the cross dying for your sins. You can't save yourself with obedience. But we're not talking about salvation right now. We're talking about discovering real joy in life. Why are so many Christians not all that joyful? They're not in obedience. Many times. Without obedience to God, joy is simply not going to happen, whether you're saved or not listen you can't earn your salvation with obedience but you can earn joy the not so funny thing is that as soon as I said we're talking about obedience today some of you started thinking oh man here comes the guilt trip basically you think you don't want to hear it what you're not getting is this obey God obeying God is the best way to live it's the best way to live Have you been deceived into thinking that obeying God will rob you of happiness or joy when in fact it's the only thing that can bring real happiness or joy into your life? Sometimes we're like bugs flying into a bug zapper. Oh, the light. It looks so good. It's so appealing. Zap! and the Bible told us about the bug zapper all along, we either ignored it, we thought it was for some other bug we thought, well I'm going to heaven anyway, so what the heck <laughs> ouch so why doesn't it work for me to just say obey God and and leave it at that this morning, because there's actually a biblical process to obedience, we need to start at the beginning of that process and see it all the way through. Otherwise, we'll tend to stay in a pattern of failure and guilt. Ever been there? So let's talk about the process of obedience. Step one, and we must start here, is this. Comprehend God's commands. Comprehend God's commands. Now, where do we find God's commands and how do we understand them? We find His commands in the Bible and we understand them by the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible tells us, verse 9, so there is a special rest. and Remember, throughout this series, we've talked about how how peace and and rest are are really other words and strength, inner strength and inner peace. It's really just other words biblically for joy. It's really the same concept. Uh, The joy of the Lord is my inner strength, said Nehemiah. And so as we talk about this rest, it's really very akin to the idea of joy. We'll rest from their labors just as God rested after creating the world. Let us do our best to enter that place of rest. For anyone who disobeys God, as the people of Israel did, will fall. For the word of God is full of living power, sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are nothing in all creation can hide from him everything is naked and exposed before his eyes this is the God to whom we must explain all that we have done says the word of God is full of living power verse 12 the Bible has living power to show us where we measure up and where we need to make changes and it powerfully cuts right through the baloney right down to the truth But what if you never really read it or study it or prayerfully consider how it might be applied to your current situation? See, the living power of the Word of God comes into your life when you look intently into it and let God speak to you through His Holy Spirit as you read it. We should be thankful that we live in the latter days when the Holy Spirit's been poured out on the earth and He lives in the hearts of all those who believe the Bible says before Christ, the people didn't have the benefit of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that we have today. Emmanuel, God with us, was only a promise then about a future occurrence wherein now he is a, his promise has been fulfilled. He is with us. He's here among us in the very hearts of those who have received Christ. We now enjoy the fulfillment of God's earlier prophecy. Again, repeated in Hebrews where God said, I will put my laws in their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. Those who have received Christ as their Savior have been given a new heart, and by the Spirit of God, we're now able to more fully comprehend His commands, His Word. He speaks into our hearts, and He tells us what's right and what is wrong. Again, the writer of Hebrews tells us, see to it that you obey God. The one who's speaking to you for if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, how terrible our danger if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. What he's saying is that in ancient times, people had to accept that prophets were speaking for God, like Moses. But today we know deep inside when God is speaking to us. As believers, we have the spirit of God and we can, we can excuse ourselves. We can't excuse ourselves by saying we aren't really sure what God has said. By his word and through the conviction of his spirit, God speaks clearly to believers, especially when it comes to matters of right and wrong. God speaks clearly. But when we don't like what he says, that's when we say it isn't clear. Sometimes we attempt to shut God out, to ignore what he's saying, even to argue with him, especially when we rather like what we're doing or not doing that is contrary to what he is saying. See to it that you obey God, the one who is speaking to you. Otherwise, as it says, how terrible our danger. Let me say something to those of you who have been in church for decades and have attended Bible studies for decades and who have probably read your Bible through uh, several times. uh, You may very well think you already know everything that God has said. Uh, You don't. You, You don't remember it. You don't, you don't know. His word is alive. It's inexhaustible. He's always speaking. You might be surprised if you start listening again. You thought God never said anything about this topic or that topic, but the fact is you just didn't remember what he said. I'm surprised by what I find in the Bible almost every day. I have all these degrees. I'm still surprised just about every day by something God says in the Bible. My wrong assumptions about God are challenged every day <clears throat> by the way there's a lot of joy in knowing that you have heard from god even when what he's saying is a challenge the very fact that you little old you have heard from the god of the universe the creator of it all brings a deep kind of joy and purpose and meaning and, and, and you feel special there's a joy in that that god would speak to you he's given you his word along with his indwelling spirit and he's speaking he's speaking But are you listening? This is where you and I must start in any attempt to obey God. We must comprehend what he has commanded. Let's try an illustration. In this illustration, Christy, my wife, is playing the part of a believer and I am playing the part of God I did the casting myself here we go my daughter sweep the floor Hmm. I wonder what he means I know I think in Hebrew language the word means something a little more metaphorical like, to look over scan the horizon let me try I'm sweeping over the stuff on the floor I'm seeing stuff on the floor we'll continue the illustration in a moment (laughs) step one is to comprehend his commands the second step in the obedience process is this confess disobedience many times this is where we stop in the process we're just too stubborn to agree with God about our disobedience that's what it means to make confession to God by the way it means to agree with him about your sin confession means you stop arguing and admit that you're wrong and God is right the Bible says don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the terrible anger of God comes upon all those who disobey him don't be fooled by excuses for sin. What excuses? What sin? Well, you name it. Every sin comes with an excuse, doesn't it? Every single one. We can justify almost anything if we try hard enough. We're quite skilled at this. But what was the very first lie ever told on this planet? Satan told Eve, God is not really sad. He didn't really say. It's not really what he meant. And that has been Satan's number one lie ever since. God never really said. Probably every single person here has an area of life where God is calling for obedience, and I can almost guarantee that Satan is telling all of us, God isn't really saying that. The question is, who are you listening to the most? Who are you obeying? So while step one of obedience is to hear and comprehend God's instructive voice, step two is that you have to agree with Him and to confess where you've messed up. How can I get specific? Well, the Bible says this. The wrong things the sinful self does are clear, and He gives some examples. Being sexually unfaithful, not being pure, taking part in sexual sins, worshiping gods, doing witchcraft, hating making trouble, being jealous, being angry, being selfish, making people angry with each other, causing divisions among people, feeling envy, being drunk, having wild and wasteful parties, and doing other things like these. I warn you now, as I warned you before, those who do these things will not inherit God's kingdom. So and that's just one list you know we could spend all day on all the things god has said we shouldn't do and that we should do and things that he's told us to be obedient about just an example but is there an area of sin that you need to agree with god about you can't go on with this process of obedience until you agree with god about specific areas of right and wrong you know what and you know what else the bible says says so if, if you don't agree with God, if you just keep disagreeing with God, you're refusing to obey Him, you're choosing actually to obey and agree with Satan. That's who you're agreeing with. Maybe that sounds a bit extreme, but the Bible makes it, true, makes it pretty clear when it says, you used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan. The mighty prince of the power of the air, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Whoa and remember from our Philippians text that we read in the beginning for I have told you often before and I say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ their future is eternal destruction their God is their appetite they brag about shameful things and all they think about is life here on this earth I barely touched on the specifics of what God has said not to do and I haven't mentioned anything about what God has said to do but that's kind of what we do every week some of what we do as we study the Bible but the question I have is do you hear God And when you hear him, do you agree with him or do you argue with him? Refusal to confess your sin or to agree with God about your sin will kill joy in your life, like nothing else. Let's go back to our illustration. Daughter, the floor, My daughter sweeped the floor, but there's still all this stuff on the floor. I guess I I didn't exactly do what he asked me to do, but I kind of like it on the floor. It's really kind of pretty. But he doesn't like it. I guess I need to actually sweep I forgive you. To be continued. So, in order to walk out the process of obedience and to discover the joy in doing so, first we need to compre- comprehend his commands. Second, we need to confess our disobedience to his commands. And step three, <clears throat> we need to commit to change. The theological word for this is repentance, but it doesn't start with a C. repentance goes a step further than confession confession is agreeing with god about sin repentance is actually turning away from that sin repentance means changing direction in the revelation john records jesus words to the church at sardis jesus said remember therefore what you have received and heard obey it and repent but if you do not wake up i will come like a thief and you'll not know at what time i will come to you repentance is a decision to wake up to turn around and go the other direction. It's an act of the will. To come to the place of repentance means you have comprehended God's command, you have confessed your disobedience, and now you are committing to change, just like she just did. Jesus told us uh, repentance on earth actually brings joy in heaven. Joy in heaven. How how, how cool is that? He said, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Repentance, repentance leads to joy. So understand that before we can really obey, a choice has to be made. more than just agreeing with God, we need to take the next step and commit to change. Sometimes we get hung up right here in the process, don't we? And for me, at least I get hung up here because something feels wrong about committing to change for like the 50th time. Do you know what I mean? Like like how many times can I repent about the same thing, the same area? Let me answer that question directly. Because of the cross, there's no limit to the number of times you can repent. If you're not sure about that, consider the alternative. The alternative is to give up and to go on living in complacency about your sin for the rest of your life. We've already heard what that means. It means you're obeying Satan. And proving that you're not truly God's child. So even if it's the millionth time that you find yourself needing to commit to change in the same area, do it anyway. Few great things are done on the first try. Secondly, remember committing to change is not step one when you fail to obey don't start right back here at step three go back to the first step which is comprehending God's command spend some time listening to God let him convict you by his word then don't skip step two either take a moment to agree with God confess your sin your disobedience once again only then can you sincerely move back to step three committing to change the Bible says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret usually for there to be real repentance or a real commitment to change, there has to be sorrow over our sin. You know, we, we, we see this in disciplining our children, right? <clears throat> I mean, it, it isn't until there is some sorrow, they're sorry for what they've done, that we really expect that they might not do it again. The same is true for us in our obedience to God. Let me chase a rabbit for a moment. We're talking about obedience. You might start to wonder where the grace is in all of this i mean are we are we straying into legalism here are we talking about trying to please god by being good enough are we talking about earning our salvation absolutely not we are talking about living a better life we're talking about discovering joy through through obedience the joy god wants us to have because he loves us we need to understand two things about the relationship of grace and obedience first our eternity in heaven is secured not by our obedience but by the saving grace of Jesus Christ in our lives Ephesians 2.8 and 9 tells us it's by grace through faith that we're saved it's a gift of God not of our own works, so that no one can boast so with obedience we're not doing it to earn salvation but rather we're talking about how to live out that salvation to its fullest benefit and on another level grace is what gives us the ability to obey Without grace, without God's life-changing work in our hearts, we would not have the capacity to obey him. But since we do have grace through faith in Christ, we also have the ability to obey God. The desire and ability to obey is all contained within the gift of grace. So no, we're not talking about legalism, which is driven by human effort, but rather we're talking about grace-empowered obedience, big difference. Uh, One brings joy into your life, the other brings bondage failure, guilt, many evils which have come upon the world as the result of the empty religions of mankind. Now back to the third step in the process of obedience in which we can can discover real joy. After comprehending God's command um, and, and confessing failure, we must commit to change. Let's continue our illustration. Committing to change. Not only am I sorry, God, but I am committing to you right now that I am going to sweep this floor. I'm going to take my broom. I'm going to sweep this floor, and I'm not stopping until I'm done. With your help, we'll see this through. You can count on me, God. Again, there's joy. And every part of this process brings joy into your life when you hear God, when you agree with God, and joy when you make new commitments to God. But step four is where it really all comes together. Eventually, to fully obey, we must comply completely. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's where, to borrow another advertising slogan, we just do it. Look back at chapter 2, verse 12 of our main text from Philippians. The apostle writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's look at one more passage from the book of James. Chapter 1, verse 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the message God has planted in your hearts for it is strong enough to save your souls. And remember, it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself, walk away, and forget... A little leeway here. Forget how bad you look. Forget what you look like. <laughs> but if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law... The law that sets you free and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard then God will bless you for doing it you can actually see all four steps in the obedience process within that passage James references listening to God by looking intently at God's perfect law his word which is basically a description of step one comprehending God's command also says we must accept the message of God which is akin to agreeing with God and confessing our disobedience. That's step two. It tells us not to walk away from what God has said, but to make a decision, to commit to change. That's step three. Last James simply tells us to do what it says. Comply completely. That's step four. Additionally, there's a promise included here that's tied to obedience. Could it be the promise of joy? That is exactly what it is. Look at the last few words. God will bless you for doing what he says god will bless you for doing what he says so how do i get the idea of joy out of that well in the original greek the most literal definition of the word bless is this to make happy and in the context of biblical greek we're talking about a deeper kind of happiness something better called joy i'm telling you that james most literally says here god will make you joyful if you do what he says that's what bless, blessing means. If you, if you dig into the etymology of the word "bless" or blessing in Scripture, you're not going to be able to get away from the idea of deep happiness or joy. <clears throat> you can apply this to every single verse of Scripture where the word blessed is used. To be blessed is literally to be given the joy of the Lord. That's what it means. Jesus said it this way, how blessed are those who hear and obey God's word. Some versions even translate the word blessed as the word happy. How happy are those who hear and obey God's word? Some translations put it that way. And that's fine as long as you understand we're talking about a deeper kind of happiness than what's typically meant by the word today. A perfectly accurate translation would be how joyful are those who hear and obey? It's exactly what's meant by the word blessed. There's simply no doubt that obedience is a secret to real joy. But as I said recently, if you don't make a change, nothing will change. At some point, you must actually follow through and obey. If you want the blessing, that is the joy of the Lord, you'll need to comply completely. Let's go back to our illustration one last time. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know what? I actually feel pretty good about this. In fact, I feel joy. Woohoo! <laughs> so, where are you in the process of obedience? Is there something you already are hearing? from God about or do you need to go back and listen some more? Are you arguing with God about something? Are you ready to repent and commit to change? Have you done that? And now it's just a matter of actually following through. Wherever you are in the process, I want to give you a moment to do business with God. We're going to pray in just a second. Others of you, need to start in a different place completely. If you've never put your trust in Christ, you don't have His Spirit. And you'll just be frustrated if you try to obey. And so, I just want to lead us in a time of prayer. Would you, would you bow with me in, in prayer? And if if you know that you know that you're His, you've committed your life to Christ, then you want to pray about where you're at, and if there's something that you need to hear from God in terms of obedience. Others of you, if you're unsure today, please don't, please hear, you don't start with obedience. You start with faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. You have to understand that what He did on the cross paid the price for your sins, and you have to receive that gift by faith you say how do you do that well you just say yes to god in your heart it's a step of faith you say you you believe you do believe you put your faith you decide to just throw it all in on that you're going all in putting all your hope and, and your your trust for eternity on what jesus did on the cross on who he is his identity and what he did and we all have to come to that place. And maybe somebody would come to that place today and just pray a simple prayer to God and say, yes, I, I, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I, I need you in my life. I need you to change me. I need Jesus. And I'm, I'm coming today just to receive what you've done for me. Forgive me of my sin. I, I need that from God. And then you might say, what's next? Well, what's next is baptism. That's how you make it public. That's your profession of faith. Every single time someone came to Christ in the scriptures, they were baptized right away. It was the time, the way that they showed everybody that they had become a believer in Christ and a follower of Christ. And then there's a process called discipleship where we can help you as a church and our our men's ministry, our women's ministry, just being here in church on Sundays. I do a lot of discipleship through my preaching. There's, There's a process of growth that's what we all walk through the rest of our lives in following Jesus. And learning how to be on mission for him and all of the great stuff that it means to shine like stars. Lord, I pray for those today that they made some kind of decision uh, whatever it is that you would help them to move forward in, in the next step in the process and communicate with me about it. Um, let us know through the connection card or whatever, but, but people will take a step not be like that person in James that looked in the mirror saw something and walked away and forgot all about it thank you for the things you're doing in people's lives that I get to see as I have conversations with people the way that you're changing hearts people that have already decided to be baptized on the 14th because of what you've done um, for their leadership and stepping out to do that I pray others will follow Thank you for what you're doing, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.